This week on the Veterinary Viewfinder, everything you need to know about the DCM grain-free debate. We've got an expert to tell you what you need to know to tell your clients. This week on the Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And I will tell you, perhaps my most toughest topic for the past couple of years has been this DCM grain-free dog food debate. It has ignited so much controversy, so many conversations. Veterinarians and veterinary technicians are confused. And this week we have a very, very special guest. I can't wait to introduce you to in just a minute to tell you everything that you need to know. But before we get started, as always, I am one of your hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And guys, this week, we are so fortunate to have Dr. Ryan Yamka, and he is uh, an animal nutritionist, and he graduated originally from Virginia Tech. We won't hold that against him. He then went on and got his uh, PhD and master's from the University of Kentucky. Once again, Ryan, I will not hold that against you, being a Georgia graduate. And then he got his MBA from Baker University. Many of you may know him from his years and days at Hills Pet Nutrition, where he did some amazing research and product development. Uh, he really was the guy that was behind a lot of the genomics, weight management, which is how I first got to know him, amino acid metabolism, carb metabolism, fiber, you know what he is all about. This guy's amazing. But he's gone on now to do a couple of other things. He, uh, may, some of you may even know that he worked for Blue Buffalo for a long time, even before they were now this massive public uh, entity that we all know and love and, and have our own opinions about. But lately, he has been doing something, I think, really remarkable. Uh, back in 2016, he founded Luna Science Nutrition, and they actually give a lot of advice to the pet uh, nutrition industry. So he's done some amazing stuff there. He's right now an advisory board member for Bond Pets. He's also an advisor for KDC Ag and Pet Mio. If you don't know who they they are. Go look them up. Pretty big. And then in 2017, he co-founded his own pet food company called Guardian Pet Food. He is board certified with the American College of Animal Sciences and Nutrition. He's a fellow of the American College of Nutrition. And back in 2011, he received a pretty big award called the ACAS Corbin Companion Animal Biology Award. He's published. He speaks. He's amazing. Dr. Ryan Yamka, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Okay, Ryan, I want to jump into it because this is something that I, A, respect your knowledge on, and B, I want to share your experiences. This DCM debate that started back in July of 2018. For our listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with what happened in July 2018, kind of give us that brief summary and history of how this thing got started. Sure. So um, the, the quick story of it is there was a few veterinarians within the U.S., uh, that noticed a potential uptick in DCM, uh, in particular in golden retrievers. Uh, with that being said, um, you know, there was no genetic testing done or anything of that nature. Um, but nonetheless, they approached the FDA with this belief that they had. Um, and as a result, the FDA uh, put out a press release asking the veterinary community to uh, make sure or please send in information about uh, DCM cases, in particular tied to uh, what Dr. Freeman was referring to, beg diets, which was boutique or small company type uh, foods, exotic proteins, and grain-free. 
part of the issue was uh, with that call out is people took it as a warning uh, when it indeed wasn't a warning. It was simply a call for data uh, so the FDA could actually see if there was something truly going on. But as you know, when the press gets a hold of things, uh, they tend to do a knee jerk reaction. Uh, and they published it as more of a warning versus a, hey, uh, we're trying to get data to see if something's really going on. Right. So, Ryan, just to, to reiterate, so in, basically Dr. Lisa Freeman, and many of you are familiar with her at Tufts University, she had published uh, some blogs with her concern of this. And she and Joshua, Dr. Joshua Stern, a cardiologist at UC Davis, were seeing an uptick in cases, like you were saying. And then they issued a statement to the FDA, which they then in July 2018 made a formal announcement that there may be a potential link between certain diets and canine dilated cardiomyopathy, right? And, and really, this is based on on kind of a handful of cases, am I right? So that, that's correct. Uh, in fact, if you actually look at what uh, Dr. Joshua Stern uh, published in December of 2018 uh, with one of his colleagues, uh, Dr. Kaplan, um, you actually see the study that they had was not a controlled study. They did not look at genetics. Um, they simply screened for animals that had DCM and low taurine. Uh, in fact, they threw out almost half the number of animals that came in, um, if not more so. Uh, but the thing w- that would have been nice was what were those other dogs eating? Because if they didn't meet those criteria for DCM and low taurine, well, were they eating grain-free diets? And we'll never know because they didn't tell. Um, but they had anecdotal information uh, at best, or what I would call an, an association versus a cause and effect. Right. Um, and so they believe there was an association tied to it. Um, you know, but as you know, as well as I do, um, that there is no cause and effect. Um, the unfortunate thing is, is most people, uh, including the JAVMA article that came out, don't reference this study, which they should have because they came out at the same time. Um, but, you know, the authors of that Kaplan slash Stern paper clearly indicated that, you know, hey, this is kind of interesting information at best, but there's need for controlled and prospective studies of larger sample sizes to see if there is a cause and effect situation um, or is it tied to taurine deficiency? Is it specific ingredients? Is it even grain free? Right. Um, and more importantly, like I said, is they didn't know uh, the genetics, the environments, and you know how this evolves in the, that condition, uh, because it truly could be a multifactorial effect. And and right in my career as a veterinarian, uh, nearly thirty years now, the reality is I've never seen anything like this where there was no causation established. There's really very, I mean, a scattering of mechanisms of of actions proposed. There was actually a paper that came out, you know, after that um, in the Journal of Animal Science that basically said we need to be careful about this uh, because are we saying that there's a causation when we haven't established a causation? Uh, You know, and of course that was uh, Mansilla and Abood and that whole group up there. And if you haven't read that paper, you really need to look into it. But let's back up just a second. What were they proposing are offering as a cause, right? Because all of this starts, there's a, a, like you see some smoke. How do you then quickly go and say, oh, there's a kid who just lit a match? You know, that's the the million dollar question. 
And so um, when I initially read the papers and the articles and, and other things that started becoming rampant in uh, the public press, um, you know, with my background, uh, I was taught to be a critical thinker and that not all research that ever gets published is 100% uh, goof proof. Um, the reason being is because normally research answers a couple of questions, but it gives you a whole many more questions right. that need to be answered. Right. Um, and so at best, uh, I think Dr. Kaplan wrote up her paper very well and, and said, hey, here's all the limitations of what we did. Unfortunately, the Dr. Freemans of the world took it as 100% uh, fact, sent up the flare gun, if you will, and said, you know, buyer beware of beg diets. Um, and, you know, a as a result of that, obviously, the, the FDA opened up their investigation and, and started getting in, uh, a, a, you know, their, their caseloads. Um, and they went through and they wanted to see, okay, is there a cause and effect there, or at least an association? Um, that the short story of it, uh, that the answer is no. Um, you know, and not only was it, uh, you know, not tied to specific proteins or foods or whatever else, but that whole BEG acronym that they did for boutique, exotic protein, and grain free. Uh, in my mind was 100% uh, false and it didn't play out with the FDA data when they did their update uh, the middle of this year. So I, I, it helps, I think, a lot to go through this whole process and to kind of pull things apart and to see things from all sides as far as, you know, if there's a concern, it is our job to bring it to the forefront and to get it addressed. It sounds like the cart got in front of the horse a little bit on some of this. And it's it's so helpful, I feel like, to know what isn't, you know, true and, and what we don't feel comfortable with. But so tell us a little bit about what you do know and what you do feel comfortable with. Where can we help guide in this situation when it comes to our clients and the questions that they're going to have as far as helping them choose a food that is safe, uh, especially around this concern? Because because what if sprinklings of it are or could be true even if we don't know the the causative agent, what if we know that the outcome is some kind of cardiomyopathy? How how do we help our clients? It's actually a very good question. Um, and so, you know, I, I think one of the problems, or at least a, a you know a lot of the questions I have been asked, is um, most veterinarians, uh, at least with the friends and family and and colleagues I have they go into the, the veterinary clinic for their annual checkup. They now are engaging in the nutrition question where they might not have so much in the past um, because, hey, if you got, you know, white teeth, bright eyes, shiny coat, wagon tail, dog's good, unless the blood right. tells you something different, right? Right. Um, but now they're asking, are you on grain-free? And if they are, they're going, oh my God, get off of it. Well, right. you, you know, that, that's not the case. It's, you know, do you have any of the signs of DCM? Are you a, a breed that's at risk? Um, that there's a lot of questions that should go along with it. And in fact, if you actually look at uh, the cases that came in and what um, the FDA actually reported, you know, they only 60% of the cases that they've reviewed have actually, roughly 60% of cases they reviewed, have actually been confirmed DCM cases. So that means you actually have other heart conditions that are going on and people are quick to blame grain-free diets. And consequently, 
you could be leading to misdiagnosis, mistreatment, and everything else. Because if you think about what most people think DCM, what do you do? You supplement taurine, you supplement carnitine, you, you might switch diets to a prescription diet, and then there's probably meds that go along. But people are having a knee-jerk reaction and they're jumping immediately to the diagnosis versus performing the proper techniques to truly identify if that is what's going on. And the fact is, is there's lots of different heart diseases out there. Uh, DCM happens to be one. Uh, most people think that we know a lot about DCM, uh, the, you know, the science behind it. And if you read the papers, we really don't know much about the, uh, the pathogenesis of it. Right. Is it a diet effect? Is it a genetic effect? We know in boxers, it's a right. genetic defect, right? And most people have a boxer, most veterinarians will put them on a carnitine supplement day one. Yeah. Um, and you know, and that's you know, part of owning a boxer. Um, and we also know golden retrievers and other dogs tend to have a DCM issues. Now, is that because of the food? No, it's actually because they don't make taurine as efficient as other species or other breeds of dogs. And I think a lot of what you're seeing out there now is you're seeing a heightened awareness around it. So people are trying to diagnose it, but there's a lot of unknowns in the, in the veterinary science world. And, and, you know, and what I do, because I, you know, rescue my dogs and they're all kinds of whatever, they all look like black labs and, you know, they're not black labs. Although, you know, most people you talk to say, Hey, my dog's part black lab. And it's like, Hey, just cause it's black doesn't mean it's a black lab. Um, but what I do with them is, you know, I don't care what the normal blood results are. I get them when they're a puppy and I treat it more like uh, avian veterinary medicine, right? Where there isn't uh, normal for a blue front uh, Amazon. What normal is, is when you pull blood on day zero right. and right. That, 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 animal's, and yep. that animal's healthy. And then, hey, if you see creatinine or alphas or whatever go out of whack, well then all of a sudden you say, hmm, there's something going on, right? Uh, you know, a lot of the data that's out there, you know, how much of it's really been beagle driven because all the main yep. companies have beagles. You right. know, do we, do we really know every individual breed out there or what happens when we get mutts and stuff like that? And the answer is no. Yep. Um, so there's just a really a lot of unknown things and, and that's where it comes down to, uh, the uniqueness of each individual animal, because it, it is going to be different. Um, and I can tell you, you know, working in the past with, with companies, even with beagles, uh, you know, I can, if I'm trying to feed maintenance for, for one beagle, he might be so efficient in getting calories from that food. I actually have to feed him 50% of, of what he should be getting. And, you know, if it, God forbid, it's a home environment, you'd think you're starving the animal. And then there's others that just burn through the calories. I got to feed them double the amount. And right. that's within the, uh, uh, the same breed, right? And so it's one of those situations where I, I think, you know, people need to be aware of it. They don't need to jump to, into the deep end of the pool immediately without asking the question, why am I on the edge of the pool or the edge of the cliff? Right, right. Well, and, and Becky, your, your question is great. It's salient. It's one that I'm peppered with constantly. I was at SuperZoo recently uh, presenting and it was a fabulous experience, but people ask the same question you ask of me. And, and, and here's what I've been saying to my veterinary colleagues about this. Uh, Ryan, I'd like to get your take on it as well as pet owners. Um, they come to me and they say, I say, you know, I'm not sure that this is the issue that we think it is. And they go, well, you know, Ernie, uh, where there's smoke, there's fire. 
And so I go, maybe. I'm just not seeing the smoke yet. And, and so that's really kind of where we are, right? Some people, this could be an observational bias because a lot of this was run up the flag within certain breeder communities online. So are we now like somehow inadvertently biasing even the data set, you know, so the 500 plus dogs or so that we've, we've studied, you know, Ryan, I mean, is there smoke here? And, and that's, that's the tough, um, the, the, the tough question to answer. And so, um, a, the one thing we need to keep in mind is obviously the breeder community is always going to raise their hand when something like this is going on because a lot of the breeders that initiated and kick-started this uh, uh, issue, if you will, they're charging $2,500 to $3,000 a dog. So they have a vested interest, and let's not forget that. Yeah. Um, and so it doesn't mean that it's not happening, but at the same time, they have a vested interest. Yeah. But the, you've got to remember is even though um, we could all say that the, the FDA should have opened it up and said, hey, report to me any DCM cases, which would have been the right way to do the investigation. Um, they said, hey, I want to know beg diets, right? Right. And when you actually look at the data and people haven't taken the time to actually look at the data, open up the PDF to see the animals, what they're eating and all that stuff, there's cases reported from Hill's from Purina, from Royal Canaan, and everybody else. But the thing that, to me, that's very interesting is when there was a call out specifically for grain-free foods, 10% of those cases that came in were actually grain-based foods. Wow. Now, imagine if they would have just said, hey, I want to know all DCM cases. I bet you you'd have a very big different data set. Yeah, this is the observational bias that I'm worried about. And that's exactly right. And if you look at the observational bias where, you know, fortunately, um, they reported cases that were pretty much grain free. Well, what you actually saw was, well, you know what? Exotic protein isn't the number one protein on there. It's actually chicken. Right. Yes. Um, it's actually your common protein set you see there. And then you'll have certain groups out there who say, well, you know what? Kangaroo was on there. And kangaroos at 9.3%. And my rebuttal for them is, is uh, yes, that might be correct. But at the same time, the answer is no. Because you know what? That kangaroo is coming from two, two uh, companies, and that's Zignature and California Natural. And by the way, California Natural is not a boutique brand. It's owned by Mars Pet Care, which was priorly owned by uh, P&G slash Imes and Yukonuba. And we all know that Royal Canaan... Royal Canaan and uh, Yukonuba were the guys that did kangaroo. So I, I find it hard to believe they're going to buy a product line and go, hey, we're not going to review it. And we all know they do because especially with Mars, it all goes through Waltham before it goes out to make sure it doesn't mess with their name. But the kangaroo foods were tied to two food groups. And you know what? Or two companies. And, and by the way, you know what? Uh, California Natural is not boutique. That is Mars. Yeah, it's a great point. You know, you make a good point there, too. I think when it comes to just getting through this dog food maze in general feels really impossible. You know, what comes off as a boutique brand is actually backed by a major company and, you know, is actually really well researched. And, And I feel like, you know, when I first started as a technician and people would say, how do I pick a food? You know, it was like, well, go to the pet store and kind of stand in the middle of the aisle. Um, 
the far end is like your cheapest food and like the other end is like your most expensive foods. You, you really kind of stay in that two thirds or better. Uh, look at your ingredients. Like these really generic, really not super helpful, but like <laughs> right. it's so hard, right? It's so hard to know how to tell somebody now to navigate these foods and to know who's well-backed and to know who's safe. I mean, we we tell everybody, check for the AFCO statement. I mean, like, what are the rules? Like, what do we actually <laughs> tell people? What are the rules? And, and, and from like a yeah. true you know, just from that true, like how we can do the best for our patients, not based on how we feel or opinions about it, but so that our clients come back and they, they don't say you didn't tell me or, oh, hey, you told me and, and you weren't right. Sure. So, you know, it's um, it's it's a very good question. Uh, there's simple answers and then there's not so simple answers. And so um, and let me give you the not, not so simple answers. So. For example, we live in an era of Dr. Google, right? right. Um, you know, and, and we all know people in our families or friends that they have a cough, they go on WebMD, and all of a sudden they think they have cancer, right? Right, right. <laughs> and, right. And, and it's an unfortunate reality we live in because the information is there at hand. But you have a lot of people that are out there on the internet that are self-proclaimed experts that don't have the backing, and people read that, and, and they become diehard in it. And then all of a sudden they have an emotional investment in right. that food by default because they're feeding it to their dog. And I know a lot of veterinarians out there that hate the term fur baby and all that stuff, but the reality of it is, is that's how consumers are treating their pets. Yes. And so when you try to engage a consumer and they're already feeding something and you're in essence telling them you're harming your dog, uh, it's it's an emotional debate versus an intellectual debate, not meaning that they're dumb, right. but their their emotions get involved and sure. you're, you're never going to win that debate. Yep. Right. <laughs> right. You're just right. not. Um, and, and, you know, and they might be doing it for different reasons that the veterinarian is not aware of. And so, for example, um, and this is why, you know, I, I love comparative nutrition and I'm part of uh, ACN. That's actually human nutrition. That's not pet nutrition. Right. And so I, I look across a lot of things. And, and so and Ernie could appreciate this. It's, hey, if you ever want a good weight loss supplement, find something that uh, destroys average daily gain in swine nutrition. Absolutely. And, that, and that'll, yep. be a, that'll be a great yep. weight loss supplement, right? Hence yes. carnitine and, and guys yep. like that. Yep. Um, but if you look at human nutrition, a lot of humans that have celiacs or some kind of GI disease by default or secondarily, they could have DCM on a human side because they end up having carnitine deficiency because of the GI disease, not because of the food they're eating or anything else. And so it's a secondary disease to the, to the celiacs. Well, you got to think with a lot of these grain-free foods, if people believe and they're self-diagnosing their animals that they have GI issues and that's why they put them on a grain-free food, um, they might not be telling their veterinarian why they went to grain-free food because they're looking up Dr. Google. Right. And so you could have that underlying cause as well. But going back to your original question and, and the simple answer is, um, you know, there's a lot of brands that have been out there forever that are good foods. And there's good foods at lots of price points. Um, and, and I say that because, you know, let's face facts, uh, People might bash Purina dog chow, but it's been on the market forever. There's been a lot of healthy dogs on there. There's been some that aren't so healthy for whatever reason. 
Um, and then you could go to the middle tier um, and say the same thing. And you could go to the super premium and see that. Now, a lot of that's going to come down to, you know, what's that person's uh, personal beliefs, right. what's their lifestyle, well, what do they yep. do, right? Uh, and a great example is vegan diets, right? Mm -hmm. it, I can make a really, really good vegan diet with all the science knowledge I know. And I know that, hey, 15% of the population out there are probably going to go, woohoo, this is awesome for my dog. And, and <laughs> Let's then, hope. <laughs> and, 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 and then the other 85 are going to, you know, say I'm Satan. And, right. And so, and, and so, and, and that's, that's the unfortunate reality. I know a little there. bit about that, Ryan. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, we both do. Um, but you know, the, the, the reality of it is, is there's a lot of good, uh, science based companies out there that are still small companies. And so when I come down to it and, you know, looking in the aisle, isn't the answer, um, because I think blue Buffalo to their credit was a marketing machine. Um, and they told everybody the first five ingredients count. Yep. Um, well, you know what? They don't count anymore. That's the cost of entry into the pet food market. So if you're not meat first, you're not natural, uh, you're not, you know, in the high 20s of protein or low 30s, um, you know, you, you yep. shouldn't be entering the market. That's yep. just the reality of it. Yep. Um, but, you know, the, the, what you need to be questioning is, okay, well, what's the transparency of that company? So. Do I know what the digestibility of the foods are? Are they going to yeah. supply me the amino acid information uh, and all those types of things? And that's where you're going to learn really quick who's done the homework and what they've done versus, you know, who's simply put out a food for putting out a food sake. Yeah, it's a really good point, too. You know, uh, I mean, Ryan and I both for transparency for our listeners, you know, we both are involved in the pet food industry directly and indirectly. And, you know, that was one of the things that I charged our company with. It's like, hey, let's publish our amino acid profiles, you know, and everybody's like, what? You know, nobody else does it. And I was like, yeah, it doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> you know, so we even made a guaranteed analysis, you know, on methionine. So and, you know, the pain in the butt that is, Ryan. But let's get back to this question. So here's what vets are, are saying. The client is coming in. And they're going, you know, Dr. Ernie, uh, I've heard a lot about this grain-free causing, you know, heart disease in dogs. What do I need to know about it? What do you tell our listeners today? How do they answer that question, do you think? Well, you know, the, the question I always ask when somebody asks me is I say, hey, is your dog behaving any differently? Um, mm, right. You know, is, is there signs that you should be bringing them to a vet? And obviously, with myself not being a veterinarian, I'm not going to diagnose it, nor do I want it, nor do I want the responsibility of doing it. And so whenever somebody asks me the question, I say, you know, how is your dog behaving? Is it behaving any differently as than it did two years ago? Um, and if the answer is no, and I say, well, that's your answer. I said, but if you do have concerns, you can always talk to your veterinarian. But at the same time, I said, just like with your own medical doctor, you can always challenge them or ask for a second opinion. Um, just because, you know, they tell you, uh, don't feed it or it's okay or whatever, doesn't mean you have to stay with that answer. Um, and you could always go ask for a second opinion, um, and, and see if that's the same thing. Or if you're truly concerned, you know, if they're going to diagnose you with DCM, uh, or you believe you have it, well, make them do the testing to, to prove it out, or at least some of the initial testing. Um, and I, again, I go back to what the FDA data says, you know, if 60% of the cases they've reviewed to date are, are true DCM cases. And then more importantly, if you actually look at the data, they have secondary issues like GI disease. Well, is it really the GI disease right. that's the primary issue? 
and we've never looked at it in dogs, but we are in humans, um, you know, maybe it's time to look at, okay, well, what's similar with those GI cases? Because chances are, because they're, they're reporting them in as DCM, they might be tacking on, hey, if the dog has diarrhea or whatever else issues going on, but they probably never thought, well, hmm, if my dog has uh, GI issues, should I switch them to a food and also do carnitine supplementation? And that's the other side of it is nobody has looked at other nutrients. They've simply looked at taurine. And when you look at the FDA report that's come in, you know, they literally broke it down into low, medium and high taurine. Right. So you have high taurine cases with DCM, which nobody can explain. Well, you know what? Maybe it's not taurine, folks. Maybe it's yeah. carnitine. Um, or something else. One quick note there too, Ryan, that I think doesn't get talked about enough is taurine is historically very unstable. It's a difficult thing to measure in the blood, right? I mean, you know, it's not just like taking creatinine or whatever. Well, that, that's a, that, that, that's a very valid point too. And, and you, you know, uh, you know, obviously being a veterinarian with a lot of the things that you measure that are nutrient driven, you require them to be uh, certain cases fasted, or it doesn't matter, uh, or, you right, know, or, right. or, hey, it's got to be plasma or serum, or it can be whole blood. Right. And whenever I ask the question, and even to the ones that are, you know, raising their hand and saying, hey, we have an issue here, and there's smoke. When I ask the question, well, are you supposed to take taurine when they're fasted or after fed? Does it not matter like cholesterol? Or does it matter like glucose? Should it be in serum? Should it be in plasma? Should it be in whole blood? And nobody ever has the answer. Yeah, uh, which we don't know. Exactly. And and to me, that makes it even more scarier. It's like you're, you're trying to blame something, but yet you don't know how to go about pointing the finger at it or better yet, fixing it. It makes me it makes me think about years ago when we, you know, blamed tomatoes for salmonella. And it turned out it was the jalapenos. Right. And like the tomato industry took it really hard that summer. Because people were sick and it was put out there that it was the tomatoes causing the illness. And, and it really wasn't. Um, and, and this is what it kind of reminds me of. And I think the other concern I have one way or another is do we end up maybe sort of not seeing the forest through the trees uh, if we are leaning very heavily on a diet that is not grain free, that, you know, is is balanced and. And then we're just kind of skipping over certain possibilities because we aren't looking back to that. And right, so right. I think it makes a lot of sense when we're, we talk in so many different ways about we just need to treat the patient in front of us and not not the concept, not the idea and not the the possibilities that way. And and so I think it is really important for for this discussion to just think about um, where it can be a factor. It's like you said, is your dog acting any different? Are there any changes uh, the food is important, but it, it we still, regardless of the diet, have to still have the same concerns and still go about the same diagnostics, right? Uh, totally agree. Um, and, and I think that's the part that's really lacking in everything that has been discussed to date. And if you actually look at the FDA report, and I know there's a front face and one that the press likes because it's you know, easier to read than the vet uh, LIRN update. Right. And, and nobody, you know, God forbid they click on a PDF and go past the pretty graphs, look at the data, <laughs> um, you, you know, you, you'll see. And if you read it um, and read all the way through it, the FDA has said, hey, there is no deficiencies or differences that we're seeing in the grain and grain free diets that we've brought in from a nutritional standpoint, 
we've analyzed for all these crazy things, heavy metals, every, all the other stuff, and we're not seeing any differences. Um, and so in short, you know, they have however many cases they reviewed. And as I jokingly say, it's like a Seinfeld episode. It's a show about nothing. So they, <laughs> they've went through all of this extra work because of a handful of veterinarians that decided to, you know, scream fire when, you know, there wasn't the fire to be seen yet. And now you have wasted a lot of resources and time for them to come back and say, hey, you know what? We do not see a cause and effect relationship. It simply doesn't exist. Now, you know, if they do like how and an example I give is if you remember when we had the jerky issues back yeah. in what, 2011 ish. Um, yes, they reported out the, the, the players in that, but they did it in a PDF slash Excel format, not in a bar graph. Um, and they should have done the same thing here because if you, if you look at how, and, and if you keep in mind, there was only three or four companies that were really at the crux of that. If you needed a bar graph, that was the time, right? right. <laughs> but, but, but when they presented this bar graph and, you know, and I, and I won't, uh, and I'll, pick blue buffalo just because i've you know worked there in the past but if you look at the 31 cases of blue buffalo it's not you know hey bison grain free uh for those 30 uh, 31 times it's 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 literally goes across four four of their brands across every flavor right and so it's it's scattered um and you know if you look at a canna you would love to go in there and say, hey, it's pork and squash. Well, there might be a handful that are pork and squash, and then it's a gazillion other flavors. Right. Um, and there's just no consistency in the data. Now, why they reported it that way, you know, shame on them because they shouldn't have. Uh, because if they would have represented it properly, you know what? They should have put Merrick in, and under Perina with all the Perina numbers. And obviously, they would have jumped up to probably 20-something and been within the top 16 as Perina, yeah. uh, they would have put California natural, uh, and Mars pops and, up. Yeah. And, and neutro together under Mars, you know, yeah. it's like neutro and, and California naturals 25 right there, which puts them in front of from. And it's so, okay. So why did you choose to pick a blue and put all their brands under there? Um, but yet you separated out, you know, uh, a, a, a canna and origin and the other guys. And so they just didn't represent the, the, the data properly. And if you actually took the time and, and you know, who's who in the industry, well, you know, the shell and Camter, which owns diamond pet foods, you know, they produce taste of the wilds, diamond professional plus diamond naturals. And then they also co-manufactured, uh, Kirkland's nature's domain and for health for, for, uh, tractor supply. Well, if I put all those together, well, oh, maybe there's a bigger trend and that's a bigger number. But yet, you know, they just didn't represent the data across the board properly. Um, and it's just it, it's it's a goofy graph, but it makes great headlines when I can say, hey, six brands cause DCM. And it, the answer is no, they were most frequently reported in the DCM cases. There's still no cause and effect. And everybody forgets that that cause and effect part of it. Which as a veterinary profession, we have to. So Ryan, again, uh, we could go on and on. This is fascinating conversation, but I, I want to get in the last few minutes here with you. Wh where do you think we should go from here? Right now, I would argue most veterinary professionals are utterly confused. Even after hearing you today, most of them are like, 
I don't know what to make of this. Who do I believe? What do you think we as a scientific community need to do to make clear this issue and get to some resolution? Yeah. So the one thing is, is, um, you know, is, is the patient, is the patient healthy? You know, the, the reality of it is, is certain people want to make it look like grain free all of a sudden came out of nowhere. Grain free diets have been around for numerous decades. You remember IVD before, you yeah. know, it, it folded into Royal Cane and Mars right. and all them. You know, they were doing venison and duck and pea and potato long before it was hip. Um, I designed them and was part of the team that developed those for, for Hills Pet Nutrition. And by the way, you know, you couldn't make a lower protein food for allergies for DD than you do there and then added as many legumes and stuff that also go in there. And Good so the, the, the question is, is, you know, why all of a sudden now are people afraid of them? And the, rea the simple reality can be is, you know what, grain-free industry has grown because, you know, the natural segment by design has grown. And within there, um, we refer to it as industry is trading up. People went from, you know, the brown rice, oats, you know, the no corn wheat group to the oats, brown rice, and whatever in the natural segment. And then they gravitated to the grain-free. Well, you know what? The numbers you could be seeing are just traditional DCM numbers of, you know, what is it? A less than 0.007% on, on average in the population. Well, if you did the math compared to how many dogs in the U.S. are eating grain-free, I bet there you you're go. nowhere near yep. that number. Yep. And, and you're just seeing a, a heightened awareness to it. And it's, you know, the analogy I use is, you know what? I thought I was cool when I bought a Jeep Wrangler. And then when I bought it, I didn't realize how many Jeep Wranglers were on the road, <laughs> right? And then you and, see and, them everywhere. Yes. And, and, you're, and you're waving to everybody and doing the two fingers, just like in the commercial. And, and it's like, you could be seeing a heightened awareness. Right. And so, you know, what I would say to the veterinarians out there is keep a cool, calm, collective head, do what you normally do, ask the consumer, hey, how long have you been feeding this food? And have you seen any issues? And if you haven't, you know, and you want to do a quick blood pull just because you're doing it anyway for an annual exam, do it. But if there's nothing abnormal going on, there's no reason to put people in a panic or themselves be in a panic. Yeah. Um, and they and they shouldn't be, uh, you know, looking like crazy hard for something that might not be there. Now, if you have an ultrasound uh, at your site, awesome. You know what? Do a quick ultrasound and look. Um, but you know what, there still is no cause and effect. There's been an associate, a potential association. I don't even want to say, uh, I don't even want to use the word as association. It's a potential association because we simply don't know if it's a gene issue or, or whatever else because we don't know what we don't know on all the breeds out there. And everything that's been learned in the past about golden retrievers and stuff like that has been because that community has raised concerns and somebody had a heightened awareness with that breed. We don't know what genes carry over, don't carry over in mutts and stuff like that. Because you know what? How many times in the past has an animal probably passed from a heart issue? And how many people really said, okay, let me go do a necropsy on it? Right. Uh, how, you know, how many in the past would have died from heart issues or DCM? And we didn't know that that was the case uh, because people didn't, you know, dive in that deep at the time. So many questions, so many questions. But at the end of the day, you know, we really owe it to our patients to follow the science right now. 
We have no causation established, as Dr. Yamka has said multiple times. If you look at the studies, it clearly states in the FDA alerts <laughs> that there is no reported causation. We can't find it. No research. We need more research. Uh, until then, we do need to keep cool heads. Uh, Dr. Yamka, Ryan Yamka, I, thank you so much for, for spending time with us today. I think our viewfinders are really going to benefit from this conversation, and I hope that it will help cool some concerns out there. Yeah, I hope so. And uh, for those of you that are attending uh, VMX in yep. uh, 2020, uh, I will be presenting on uh, the ethical advice on dietary recommendations in the shadow of dilated cardiomyopathy. So I'll be doing a deeper dive on, on the articles that are out there and what it shows and what it doesn't show. Um, so people can, um, you know, have comfort in what they're recommending or at the very least, uh, start asking the harder hitting questions when they do see papers and stuff come out um, because, you know, it's important for people to be uh, open uh, and, you know, and, and open minded, but more importantly, critical of the science that they see or lack thereof when they, they read things, even if it's from a quote unquote expert in their field. Yeah, we got to go beyond the bar charts I mean, because exactly. I think that caused so much controversy. So definitely check out Dr. Yamka at VMX 2020. Uh, where else can they find more information for you? You write a lot. You do amazing stuff. Uh, is there a website they can go to? Yeah, so I, I, I write um, articles for Pet Food Industry uh, magazine uh, called Debunking Myths and Misconceptions in Pet Food. Um, if you go to petfoodindustry.com uh, and you go to the top left, you go to menu, look up blogs and columns, you, you'll click on that, you'll see the title debunking myths and misconceptions, and you'll see a list of them there. I've done two in particular on DCM. I've also done a couple uh, on, you know, Petco not truly being artificial free. Um, and you, you'll see that uh, right or wrong, uh, shoot the arrow straight, and I'm honest in what I do. <laughs> you are. Um, I, I, you know, tend to get some hate mail for it from time to time. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, I do get a lot of positive feedback from consumers and there are some uh, tricks to the trade on understanding claims and packaging and stuff like that. And so there's there's a few articles out there that uh, I think, you know, a lot of people can learn from. Um, but if they also have topics, uh, you know, they could feel free to uh, sync up with me on LinkedIn and, you know, private message me and ask me to write a topic. Uh, nothing is off limits to me, which kind of scares people, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, it, it's important to get the right information out there so people can make their own, uh, judgments and be critical of what they're looking at and not take it at face value, regardless of what company is bringing them the information, whether they've been around for a hundred years or one day. Right. Wow. I really appreciate this. So viewfinders, what do you think about the DCM controversy? What do you think about what Dr. Ron Yamka has shared with us today? How are you answering these tough questions that your clients are giving you about grain-free diets and boutique and exotic proteins? We want to hear from you. That's right. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. While you're there, head over to Apple Podcasts if you can. Click to subscribe and give us a rate and review. Leave us all the stars. Helps other friends of ours get to know about the podcast and get this information out to more veterinary professionals. Until next time. Bye. 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 Thanks for having me. Yeah. Oh, wow. 